Good morning. Welcome to our online service for Center Presbyterian Church. We are so happy that you are with us today. We especially want to welcome those who are new to this stream. Maybe you stumbled across it somehow. We are grateful to have you worshiping alongside of us today. Now as we head into our time of worship, I want to invite you, wherever you are, just to take a moment to pause, to take a deep breath, and to acknowledge the presence of God wherever you are, uh, that he's with you, that he sees you, that he loves his children and desires to be with them. Let's take a moment now and prepare our hearts for worship. Please join with me. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to the Lord, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. This morning, as we continue in God's Word, we're going to be reading from the first chapter of, uh, excuse me, the fifth chapter of 1 John. And this is our finals in the series of How I Know I'm a Christian. Uh, we're going to be reading from John, 1 John 5, uh, verse 13 through 21. And I would ask if you would join with me and let's stand together in honoring God's Word as we hear the Word of God this morning. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask from him or of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sins does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about, about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 
And we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, won't you? Our Father, as we deal with this time in our lives where we are endeavoring to worship you, we pray that your spirit would encourage us. For we have been reading through this first letter of John because we are people who need assurance and encouragement. And because of that, you have given us this precious letter that today we might know certain things to be true, regardless of our circumstances or experience or feelings. And so our prayer is that we would know with great assurance and confidence what you have prepared for us, even in Jesus Christ. And that in knowing these things, we may be faithful in loving and serving you and finding this life everlasting that Jesus gives to all who seek him. And for that reason, we ask and we pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. As I was preparing for this sermon, I began to think about how I could possibly talk about assurance because what we're really talking about is, and what John is teaching us this morning is that we need to be people who walk in assurance of what God has done. That we take each day with great confidence, not in ourselves or the events of life or even the election and all that's happening in our days, that we find no comfort in our lives except that comfort we have in knowing Jesus Christ and that we are united with him and the Father in heaven. And so when you and I begin to think about assurance and I was trying to think of how to open the sermon, it suddenly dawned on me that it's more like uh, uh, wanting to be certain that certain things are true. That's really what assurance is about. I want to be assured that what I am believing is not only true, but it is adequate, it is satisfying, it is completely filling of life, not death. And so uh, I was thinking back in the early days of my life when we were putting up some scaffolding for some construction and there was a board that was put across this long stretch of air that we were to walk across and the board was going to be our platform. And so the question that came to our minds as we put this board down on the scaffolding is can we trust it? And so we were, three of us together, as we began to debate this, we were deciding who was the one that was going to go and sit or stand on the board that was literally suspended in the air between two pieces of, of iron. And we wanted to make sure that no matter how many people got on it, it was going to hold us and would not collapse and cause any harm to our bodies. Well, as we put the scaffolding down, as we put the board down, we drew lots and we 
decided one would go and then another and then finally the third just to make sure that it had enough and so as we got on it we were almost tiptoeing as if somehow by tiptoeing we could keep the, our weight of our body off of the off of the board and yet as the first person got on the board and he got to the middle he stood on it and said yep seems pretty sturdy and so the second one went out and as he went out the weight on that board began to dip just slightly but enough that it caused the first one to feel a little panic in his heart while the second one walked out to join him. But once they both were out on the board, they began to say, yep, it's pretty sturdy. And they began to jump up and down on the board just to make sure it didn't creak or crack or make any other sounds. Seems safe so far. But then when the third of us decided to go out, that's when the real test was happening because the third and the final one was the heaviest of all of us. And as he came out and he stood on the board, the board then dipped another inch and everyone on the board began to wonder, is this gonna be the last moment of our lives as we're suspended in the air by simply one board that is connected between two pieces of iron? Well, Fortunately, I'm here to tell you that the third one came out on the board and he stood there and the board held. And from that point forward, as we were working that day, none of us ever doubted that the board would not only hold one of us, it would hold all three of us. And we never gave it another thought. That was assurance. That's what John is writing about this morning to you in your faith in Jesus Christ. Because so often in your life, you ask the question, am I really saved? Do I really have forgiveness through the cross of Christ? Is Jesus Christ enough? And John writes in the first, letter, first uh, sentence that we read in verse 13, he says, in closing this magnificent letter of assurance and encouragement, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Not that you might guess you have it, not that you might hope you have it, but that you might know. And that knowledge is based upon what Christ has done for you in the cross, not upon your ability to grasp its truth, its depth, its power, but the work of Christ alone. That became one of the capstones of the Reformation that we're celebrating this month as we look back on the history of our faith during that Reformation period of the 1500s, there were five, five things that became a hallmark of the Christian faith during those days. And one of them is that we are saved by faith alone. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, for we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so as we think about this faith that we have been given, that we walk in, that we hold on to, we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in the person of Christ who did something for us, who delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into light, the light of Jesus Christ, the light of God, the Father. And so in doing so, he has forgiven us 
of our sins. He has cleansed us and given us a new heart that now yearns and longs to worship and know God. And so for that reason, John goes on to write that this then is the result of that kind of confidence. The confidence that I know, that you know you have eternal life. What, what, what shape does it take? Well, he says that we approach God. In verse 14, this is the confidence we have. We approach God. We don't run from him. We don't fear him as if he is going to punish us. But we know that in his love and forgiveness, he has given us the light of Christ. And in verse 14, he says, the way we approach is that we ask anything according to God's will. We ask of him anything that he desires us to have. And when we ask, we know he hears. We approach God, not hoping he hears us, but knowing because he has given us eternal life, that he hears every prayer and will answer each one as we pray according to his will. That, that seems to be looming large. What do you mean praying according to his will? Well, this is why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. It is that template, that model of what we're to pray, and it is a way in which we ask God to give us what we need to love and serve him. This whole letter that John has given us has been speaking about walking in the light. If you go back to chapter one, it speaks of, of how those who know Christ walk in the light, but those who say they know Christ and walk in darkness, well, they're not really being honest. They're lying. And he, he makes it an emphasis that there really is a difference between those who say they love Christ and those who indeed love Christ. Well, what's the evidence? They, they love the brothers in the church, the sisters in the church. There's a brotherly love, a, a fellowship that is, that is based upon a faith in Christ. Not only that, they are, they are people who love Christ and know who he is as the son of God, the one God has sent. And they believe God when the Father gives witness that this is the Savior of the world who has come in to this world to save us from our sins. And so when John writes and says that he wants us to be assured that we have to eternal life, that assurance is, is evidenced by the fact that we pray to God knowing that God hears our prayers. We never have to worry that God doesn't hear us. And more importantly, he goes on to say in verse 15 that God gives to us whatever we ask of him. Now, immediately you're thinking, well, does that mean that we have a blank check that we can ask God for a million dollars? Or we can ask God for a new house or a new spouse? And the answer is no. Those things are not according to his will unless it be his will. You say, well, then what is the will of God? Well, John writes in his gospel, this is the will of God, that you know the Father and the one he has sent. That you know them, not know about them. That you have a relationship with the Father and with the Son. And so when John says that you know now you have this life eternal, you have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, one of the things he encourages his readers to remember is that therefore we can pray asking God to help us in any part of that relationship to know him and love him and seek him. 
And then he goes on and gives us, thirdly, an excursion. Because the minute we deal with that truth, then we think, well, we're not going to quite live up to that, are we? There are times in our relationships when our relationship is strained with each other. There are times when we anger one another, when we misunderstand one another. And so in the same way that that we might have disconnections between each other, John recognizes that immediately when we hear that we have a relationship with God, there's a fear that we might mess it up. Or that we might have someone else that we love who loves God veer off the path that might try to walk away from the light of God. And it is in that vein that he says to us, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray. You should pray and ask God to give them life. What, what is he saying? John is instructing the fellowship to do what is natural for those who love God and therefore love their brother or sister. That instead of, instead of allowing the other to drift from Christ, that they would pray that that one who is struggling with a sin would grow closer to Christ. One of the consequences of our sinning against God is that we feel shame. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned against God, they hid themselves from God. So many times you and I feel the same way. We, we don't feel worthy of God's love. We hide from him. And if we do that, then there must be others who love him too, who do the same thing. And John writes to us concerning those brothers we are to love, that loving them, the actual activity of love is to pray that they come to the light of Christ and confess their sins and find forgiveness from God and from each other. This is the joy of our salvation. That when we do such things that God does not hold our sins against us, but he cleanses and forgives us. That's why David wrote in the Psalms, Restore in me a clean heart, O God. Deliver me from evil. What is he doing? He's, he's acknowledging that only God can help him in resisting what he knows to be wrong and cling to what he knows to be good. In the same way John is reminding his readers of that very fact, the power of the Christian life is not in you apart from Christ. It is Christ in you at work for God's good pleasure, that this good pleasure God has is what we're to pray for. And so we're to pray to understand the scriptures. We're to pray to be at peace with one another. We're to pray when we have frayed ends, when we misunderstand or even have times of conflict, that we work endeavoring that God would work through us, trusting in his power, his grace, his mercy to help us to live godly lives. But there's a curious phrase he gives that if it's a sin that does not lead to death. Well, what does he mean by a sin that leads to death? Well, commentators have gone all around on this and there's been a lot of disagreement, but what I can tell you from the text itself, if you examine and you're smart, 
You're intelligent. You read for yourself the Bible and see if really the real problem that John is dealing with is false teaching. Those who claim to be walking in the light, but they live in such a way that denies that truth, John says they are living a lie. And he says for that kind of person, we don't need to pray that they will somehow overcome their sins through the power of Christ because that indicates that Christ is not in them. That the light is not penetrating their hearts. It just simply is an external, an external knowledge that does not change their living. That person probably needs to be converted. Not prayed for to be submissive to the Holy Spirit or even submissive to God through his son. When John writes about the sin that leads to death, sin brings death. And the sin that will bring death is that sin that will not confess and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That sin of unbelief, that unbelieving heart that kind of person needs a different kind of prayer. John reminds us that all wrongdoing is sin. All of it is, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. By implication, there is a sin in verse 17 that does lead to death. It's called the sin of unbelief. The willingly dispensation of action to live out what it is you say you believe. And so because of that, he wants those readers that read his letter to be affirmed that they have eternal life, that they are in the light, that they know the living God. He gives them three affirmations in verse 18, 19, and 20. He says, first, let me remind you, we know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. What does he mean? Well, when you and I, who are in Christ, sin against the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us. He, he will not let us have rest. He will come and remind us how we have something against us or against the Lord that is separating our fellowship with him. It's kind of like those moments when in a marriage where a husband and wife know that something's not right in the relationship, and it won't get right until they come together and talk it out and clarify and, and forgive and reclaim their relationship. John even goes so far to remind those who believe that they know they have eternal life because God, God who loves them is the one who gave them life. He puts it this way. He says, the one who was born of God keeps them safe, meaning Jesus Christ in you is the one who keeps you from falling into something that pulls you away from the living God. And secondly, the devil who denies and does not want you to enjoy the relationship that God has now given you in Christ, he wants to do everything he can to distract you to cause you to believe what is not true. He 
is thwarted and cannot harm you because of the fact that now Christ lives in your heart. And if God lives in your heart, then you know you have been born of God and desire to love and please him. Secondly, he says in an affirmation, not only that we know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin, he says that we know that we are children of God. How do we know that? Because we recognize what it is to be in a relationship with Christ and to love him by the power of God's spirit. He says in the latter part of verse 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Well, how do we know that? We know by their activity, by the way in which they live, how they treat one another, that those who are not in Christ are not motivated to live a godly life in the way that those who walk with the Lord do. And so he goes on to say, because you know that now God is in your life, you know that you are God's child. That he has become a father to you. That's why Jesus, in the prayer he has taught us to pray, when we address God, we don't say, oh, almighty God. We may say that. But the invitation Christ gives to you is we say, our father, the one who is the source of everything good in my life the one who's the author of my salvation, my Father in heaven. In encouraging the believers to not only remember that he writes to them so that they may know he, they have eternal life, but that they walk in this eternal life with such confidence he reminds them that not only those who are born of God do not continue in sin and not only do they recognize that they're now part of God's family. He says finally in verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. In other words, God has revealed this to us. God has given us knowledge we could not obtain ourselves. God has blessed us with understanding that mystery of the gospel that was hidden for generations, but now that is revealed in Jesus Christ, God has blessed you with such knowledge that you may know Him, God who is true. Think of that. As people grope to know who God is in the world and there are various ways in which their religions, these religions that seek to know God by searching or doing or acting, we have come to know God because God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And in so revealing himself to us, we come to know the true God as opposed to the false gods of the earth. That's why in closing, the warning is so very clear. Now that you have a relationship with the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, and believe in the testimony God has gave or given 
about Christ and his work in the cross for you. John ends this series and his letter with these last words in verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What is an idol? We, we don't really understand that term in the days that we live. But an idol is anything and maybe anything that we confuse to be the source of our life, that we find significance from, that we find meaning in, that we derive that it is the source of our life. And John says the only one who is the source of our life is God through Jesus Christ. He is the wellspring that bubbles up in our souls, that satisfies and gives peace and helps us to live. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, we thank you for the assurance the scriptures speak that he who has the Son has life. This is what you write in the, the 12th verse of the 5th chapter of 1 John. That he who has the Son has life. There may be someone in the sound of my voice who is uncertain. And John is writing to you to tell you this morning you can be certain. That if you will come and pray to God and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. To be willing to turn from them and turn to him in following him as his disciple. And coming into your life. If you will ask God to be the Lord and the Savior who delivers you from the sin that is in your heart. And you trust in the Lord to do that. God says that you will be born from above. You will be born of God. You will be called a child of God from that point forward. My friend, would you like that this morning? Then you ask God now. Ask Him. And then, as you ask Him, know He hears your prayer. And it's going to give you everything you need to walk with Christ. To the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may you, Lord Jesus Christ, be praised. Amen.